Thank you, choir. Brother Steve. If you are a parent, or if you had parents, I think I've covered everybody. (laughs) At some time or another, you as a parent probably said this, or you as a child had it said to you. But did you ever hear these words? You better watch that attitude. That may have come with a, a, a duck <laughs> uh, to avoid the forthcoming uh, backhand, or maybe not. But attitude, I want to open the scripture this morning and for just a few minutes talk about attitude. Or look at what the scripture has to say about the proper attitude for the redeemed. For the child of God. A simple little principle that that hopefully you can remember this. It's easy. But it's true in life. It's a truism. Attitude determines action. Three simple words. Attitude determines action. What kind of attitude do you have? Child of God, what's your attitude? What's your attitude this morning as you've come to worship? Or you've come for that time of service we call worship. What's your attitude? And yes, it is true. You better watch that attitude. Because attitude determines action. Paul is writing a letter to the Colossian Christians. The theme of the book of Colossians could easily be stated is that we are believers, the redeemed, are complete in Christ. And in the particular passage that we're reading this morning, he's probably speaking to conduct or attitude among the assembled believers, the redeemed. Let's read beginning in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray, thanking God for His Word and praying that we will live it. Father, we thank You for the Scripture. We thank You, Lord, that it's completely reliable for every matter of faith, every matter of conduct, practice in our lives. Lord, we pray this morning that our attitude would be pleasing to you, that we would have these biblical qualities in our life. Thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ and that on the cross of Calvary, He paid our debt totally, fully, completely. And we stand complete 
in Him. We're not here trying to uh, complete the work. We're not here trying to be made uh, just in your sight. We're not here trying to do more. We're here because all the work has been done. We are complete in Christ. Father, may these be the attitudes that determine our action as a church, as redeemed individuals. And Father, as always, we pray that if someone here is not a born-again Christian, has never believed upon Jesus Christ, we pray that today the Holy Spirit in this place would do the convicting, convincing work to bring about regeneration, to bring about redemption for those who believe. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. If attitude determines action, then what are the things we are to be doing? What are, what are the attitudes that we ought to have that would determine how we act as a body of believers, how we act as a church? Now, I don't make any assumptions. Uh, that's dangerous. I'm in deep prayer, concern, that you know Christ as your Savior. Not simply that you're a church member. Not simply that you're a good person. Not simply that you are religious or spiritual, as you might call it, label it. But that you genuinely know Christ in the redemption of sin. That you've believed upon Him for salvation. That you're, you're trusting in Him alone. And if you've done that, if you're doing that, I would pray that you are plugged in to the Lord's church. I've never met, and I think any, most of you would agree with this statement, any pastor would make this statement, I've never met a dynamic Christian who was not plugged in to his church, to the Lord's church locally. Now I know there are many that talk about it, and somebody at home this morning is probably saying, I can be just as good a Christian at home as I can at that. Well, I beg to differ on the authority of God's Word. You can't be up on Jesus and not be up on what He's up on, which is the church, the bride of Christ. He loved the church and He gave Himself for her. And so I'm asking you this morning, are you a child of God? Are you redeemed? And then I'm asking, do you have the right attitude? What's your attitude this morning? Well, in these verses, we see these attitudes. I think there are four. There could be, some might could do this and see five attitudes, and we'll, we'll hint at all of them. But, but I want to highlight four that are the attitudes of those that have been redeemed. In verse 15, he begins with peace, or the attitude of peaceful we'll call it, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is the peace that Jesus gave to His disciples. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. This is what Paul spoke of, and we'll get to uh, looking at uh, uh, where that peace 
uh, permeates, but in Philippians 4 and verse 7, he says, The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is that peace. Paul reminds in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, uh, just a simple little statement, but in reference to the Lord, the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says He is our peace. In a world that is clamoring for hope, in a world that is looking for peace, the Scripture answers that. Jesus Christ is our peace. And so Paul writes to these Colossian believers and he says to them, let the peace of God. Isn't it interesting that as Paul says, he is our peace, that we go to the Old Testament and he's referred to there as the Prince of Peace. Do you know him in such capacity? The quiet, what is this peace that's being spoken about? So often we think of it as the cessation of war or hostility. The opposite, uh, peace being the opposite. I like one definition, the quiet disposition of those under the Lordship of Christ. Do you have that? Is that the attitude that rules your heart? Let the peace of Christ, and then note the word in verse 15, rule. You could translate that word govern, or I think the best would be umpire. We that are athletically gifted and know that, that our minds are geared toward that. I meant to say geared, not gifted. Uh, we that are athletically geared, uh, we know much about the officials that officiate a game. How many of you, your teams yesterday were, uh, were treated wrongly by the officials, the umpires, as they're called in baseball, that we disagree. And it's, for some, and there's even some that have that have uh, uh, reputations of being uh, bad toward the officials at a ball game. Don't let it, don't, please don't ever let that be you, uh, uh, representing Christ and representing the church to go and scream and holler. I, I officiated, when we lived in Selmer, I officiated the under, I think it was under eight uh, soccer league. And you're, you're, I, I didn't know what I was doing. Those kids didn't know what they were doing. But the parents did, didn't they? And they were quick to tell, don't be one of those. Well, back to umpire here. He says, let the, the peace of God rule, umpire. The, uh, the idea that Paul had in mind here was the, the arbiter of the Greek games. Uh, that, that they were the ones that said he's in violation. They were the ones that said he competed according to the rules or he uh, p- competed against the rules and therefore he's disqualified. And so Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ govern, rule, be the arbiter of your hearts. Peace should be the first consideration in every conflict. In your heart, in your life, let the peace of Christ. This Colossians passage here is the only place where Paul spoke. Usually, he he often spoke of peace in all of his epistles, but usually it's the peace of God, or, or may God the Father grant peace. Here is the only reference, the peace of Christ 
uh, the activity of Christ alone. Let the peace of Christ govern, uh, rule in your hearts. The general core of your being. The hearts. When the, when the, in the Hebrew mindset, and, and Paul was, was a Hebrew, he was Jewish. But in the Hebrew mindset, when you spoke of the heart, he's not talking of the physical organ that pumps blood. But he's talking, he's speaking of the general core of your being. All that you are, the seat of the emotions, let the peace of Christ. Folks, I can tell you, uh, back to the athletic illustration, uh, emotions will get the best of you, won't they? There are other things. Some of you are just as passionate about other matters, not non-athletic. And emotions can get the best of us. We need the peace of Christ to rule in us. And then he concludes with this, to which you were called in one body. No doubt, Paul was referencing the local church, the Colossian church, the believers. Do we allow the peace of Christ to govern this body of believers? Or do we operate off of emotion? I confess that I get emotional about things. I'm passionate about uh, other things, as are you. And often we'll let those govern us. But for the child of God, the attitude that will determine our action ought to be the peace of Christ. Peaceful. And then he concludes, verse 15, And be thankful. A man's gratitude will be reflected in peaceableness. The peace of Christ governing him. You'll see it in his gratitude. Are you? Do you? Paul makes use of this word thankful in every chapter of this book uh, of Colossians. Uh, Thankfulness and gratitude promotes peace within the body. And so, the first action, peaceful, in verse 15. But then let's move to verse 16. The second action, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Let the word of Christ, he's speaking of the word of God, the word of Christ, God's word, the teachings of Christ, this word is to dwell in the individuals. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, just as we see here. For it's profitable for doctrine, it's profitable for reproof. Have you been reproved? Have you been corrected, we should say? For, in, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God will be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That verse reminds us that we have all we need for every matter of faith. We don't have to look to the stars, although the heavens declare the handiwork of God, the glory of God. But we don't necessarily look to the, word, to the stars to get God's Word. 
We have everything we need in this book, the Word of God. Now, we're Baptist, right? And we believe that all along. But do we accept it? Do we go by it? Do we stand on that? What should we do with the Word of Christ? Well, we should handle it correctly. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Rightly dividing the Word of truth. We need to learn how to read the Scripture correctly, how to interpret the Word of God rightly divided. And not just go on the Word of some good-looking, famous uh, preacher somewhere in a mega church, in a, in a mega city, but that we can open the Word of God and see it ourselves. What's the attitude that we're to have? That of being scriptural. Scriptural. Handle the Word of God correctly. Handle the Word of God by hiding it deeply within us. Psalm 119 in verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Have you hidden God's Word at all this week? I don't mean under the, uh, the, the, the table, the coffee table, or under the dust in the, in, the, in the closet. But how have you hidden God's Word in your heart this week? Let the Word of Christ... Oh, we, we are concerned with the Word of God, that we handle it correctly, that we hide it deeply, and that we hold it forth openly. Paul told... Uh, uh, in the book of Philippians, the Philippian Christians, chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul referred to the Scripture as the Word of Truth. Holding forth the Word of Truth. Do we do that? Do we do that? I'm, uh, I'm grateful when uh, you, you, you open God's Word. I love, I'm still, I like to hear the pages flip. I like to see people come in with the Word of God. I understand technology and I'm, I'm all, I'm, I like the gadgets and stuff myself and I, I'm all about that. And such, do, do we have an endearment to the Word of God? If this church can be known and has been known for something in the past and can be known for something in the future, may it be that we are saturated with the Word of God. That we are scriptural in our desires, in our deliverance, in the things that we do. That we say, not just as some do, but that we honestly say we stand on the Word of God alone. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. The word dwell has at the core of the original word, it has the, the concept of a home. Living in a home or, 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 or dwelling comfortably. If you were to come to my house, our home, in the evening time, you know, when I, let, me back, let me tell this story this way. When I was a college student, there was a rumor that went around our campus, a very small campus, and there was a rumor that the president of the college, who was a, a petite, stately man, there was a rumor that he always wore a three-piece suit, that you could go to his house in the middle of the night and he would come to the door with his three-piece suit on friend and I decided we'd try that one night and we got nervous after we rang the doorbell and bang, so we ran. But anyway, uh, statute of limitations has passed uh, in, in regards to that. But it's his home, his rules. He could do as he pleased if, he wanted, if that was what made him comfortable. You come to my home in the evening time, I'm going to be comfortable. My stretchy pants, my, my, maybe the old t-shirt or whatever. 
That's, that's feeling at home. What Paul is saying here with verse 16, let the word of Christ feel at home in you. That's the concept of the word dwell, to inhabit, to live in. And if this word dwells in you, Paul says there should be some teaching and admonishing. Let it, let it do so richly. Richly is the idea of abundance or wealth. Let it do abund- it abundantly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. In all wisdom, the concept of skill, uh, uh, are we skilled when it comes to the Word of God? Do we desire to be children of God? Scriptural is the attitude that will determine our actions. Scripture is not just reserved for the preacher or for your Sunday school teacher or for someone else. It's for every child of God. It's a love letter from our Lord and Savior. It'll strengthen us in our weakness. It'll sustain us in our conflicts. It'll equip us for our warfare and it'll guide us in our paths. Oh, that we might be scriptural, that that would be the attitude that determines our action. We often hear people say, well, I want to be spiritual. Well, that can mean so much, can't it? To be spiritual. I know on television there are a lot. Followers of, of, of L. Ron Hubbard, they're spiritual. People like Oprah Winfrey and Tom Cruise and others that, that, that have a spiritual side to them, they will tell you. But that's not scriptural. We've said this many a time, and, and I would uh, uh, hope that it's something you remember. We hear a lot in our age about being spirit-filled, or spiritual, but being spirit-filled, full of the Spirit. Have you heard this statement before? You'll never be any more full of the Spirit than you are full of the Scripture. I'm going to trust you really knew that and just didn't want to say it. You'll never be any more filled with the Spirit than you are filled with the Scripture. Because the Spirit's not going to lead you to do contrary to the Word of God. Scriptural. Do you have that attitude about you? Do you have the attitude of, of, of one that's peaceful? One that's scriptural? But then verse 16, the latter part gives us more. Joyful. The attitude of joyful. It, this is a, a, a continuation, but yet, remember, the, the, in the, the Greek language, there, there's not punctuation. This has been added, and so uh, it could be that uh, in all wisdom, the phrase in all wisdom goes with teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Um, Probably that's the connection because it is wisdom to teach. That's doctrine, admonish, that's living. We, we, we teach and we live it. We do that in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The early church used the scripture as the lyrics for much of their singing. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It's very likely this was a, uh, um, a song that they would sing as they gathered. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here's the song. 
God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Just a few lines of a song that was sung that taught doctrine. Music and and, and singing is a vehicle for teaching and for understanding. It's our desire as we sing, that we sing songs that, that teach, not that contradict the Word of God, but that teach what thus saith the Lord. People learn easily. We used to do it years ago with the children of teaching them, them, them biblical songs because they can remember it. And it helps to have that rhythm and, and, and to sing it in unison together. But now we've gotten sophisticated and complicated. seems like our VBS literature is all about the dance and the choreography rather than it is about the, uh, the Scripture being sung. Very little distinction is drawn between Paul's phrase that he uses here uh, that teach and admonish one another how? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, I think there's an overlapping of the three. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The Hebrew hymn book was the Psalms. Joyfulness that as the saints, and again, the context of this is they gather together as a body of believers. The context of this is, 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 is in a church setting, there's joyfulness, that attitude of joyfulness. You have such an attitude? Did you gather this morning? Did you sing with joy this morning? Or are you hoping, hurry up and get over that song. Hurry up and get through with all of that, that we can get on with it. We're in an age today where many are wanting to throw out the hymns and sing only choruses and such. We had a blend of those even this morning of using some old. That first hymn by choice that we sang, uh, uh, of number 352, I know that my Redeemer liveth. You know where that comes from? Not some hymn writer somewhere. That's right out of the Word of God. That's from the book of Job. What's the doctrine that's taught? It's the resurrection of Christ. Oh, that we would sing. And beautiful new songs, Amazing Love. What a, what a wonderful song that the British uh, uh, Graham Kendrick wrote. Uh, uh, what love is this? Just pause and think uh, of the, that that's there. And we sing, or did we sing, with joyfulness. I think there are two or three things that should be emphasized as we look at this, this phrase. Uh, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. One, the singing is to be done from the heart rather than just from the lips. Singing with grace in your hearts. Did you sing from the heart? Did you sing at all? You say, preacher, I'm just not a good singer. Well, join the crowd. (laughs) I don't think that's a qualification for the child of God. I do know this, the more we do it, the better we get at it, don't we? Secondly, it's to be done unto the Lord rather than for a display of talent or a display for mankind. It's done unto the Lord. There's an audience of one as we sing, whether it be from a choir loft, from a pulpit, or from the pew. There's an audience of one, and that's the Lord Himself. 
singing unto the Lord. And he says, with grace in your hearts. The content, that of thankfulness, that of graciousness, that we exhibit grace as we sing. So the attitude that he's speaking of here in the latter part of verse 16 is that of joyful. Oh, that we might be peaceful. That we might be scriptural. And that we might be joyful. But then look at verse 17. Lastly, the attitude, useful. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name, in the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here is the all-inclusive rule that should judge our conduct. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him. All of life is to be lived in relation to Christ. We do it in the authority of Christ. We live life. That will govern our actions. <laughs> do you have the attitude of being useful? Whatever you do. My fear in life is that much of what I do is of no use. That may alarm some folks. But at the judgment seat of Christ, I wonder how much is wood, hay, and stubble. What all you do, whatever it is, do it, whether it be in word or deed, do it in the name, in the authority of the Lord Jesus. He laid down His life for us. He redeemed us by His blood. He delivered us from sin. He delivered us from Satan. We've been bought with a price. We are His and His alone. Let all that we do be in the name, in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only reasonable that what we say, that what we do is in His name. If you give a cup of cold water, you do it in His name. And there are no rules of conduct that you find in the Scripture, particularly the New Testament, for believers. We're not legalists. We certainly believe that the Word of God governs us with this. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, whatever you say, whatever you act, whatever you carry out, whatever your action may be, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do, everything we say is to be done for His glory. Does that attitude reflect you? Is your life useful to Him? Can I do this for His glory? Can I pray and ask Him to bless this? Can I thank Him for it? For He ends the verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. What's your attitude? You better watch that attitude. We've all been told that, and I think this morning the Scripture would remind us of proper attitudes for children of God. Peaceful, scriptural, joyful, useful. Why is this so important? Because attitude determines action. What's your attitude? 
He ends with those two words in the English language in verse 7 that we give thanks to God the Father through Him. Can you do that this morning? You can if you're not a child of God. You can if you've never been redeemed. This morning I point you to Christ Jesus alone who saves sinners like me, like you. Trust in Him for salvation. Only trust Him. Don't trust in the church. Don't trust in the ritual of baptism or the the object of baptism. Trust in Christ alone to save you. Would you? And then if you are redeemed, if you are a child of God, what's your attitude? I pray that it's one where the peace of Christ rules you and the Word of Christ dwells in you and the joy of Christ flows out of you and that you are useful for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the time to open and to study and to learn and, Father, now to put into practice. May You be glorified in this church as we have the proper attitude for Your glory. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.